The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Roads Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Nance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, and if it isn't too early, happy Halloween, everybody. Glad to have you with us. This is the season of spooky stories, and we're going to have a gentleman who knows all about that. He's a great paranormal researcher based in Seattle, but far-traveled, well-traveled, and he has plenty of stories to share. We'll get as many of those stories in as we can in this half hour right after this. The holiday gift-giving season soon will be right around the corner. It's not too early to fuel the open road dreams of special people in your life with a subscription to American Road Magazine. With exciting features, quality writing, and beautiful photography in every issue, American Road makes a perfect gift for road-tripping moms and dads, gallivanting grandparents, adventurous aunts and uncles. Maybe that special friend will enjoy it too. Visit AmericanRoadMagazine.com, click subscribe, and for a limited time, you can enter the code KKNW to receive 25% off your subscription. Self-help, healing, spirituality, and more on Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to American Roads Trip Talk. Halloween is close at hand, and that means it's time to start talking about spooky things, about spirits about friendly ghosts and maybe some unfriendly ones as well. Ross Allison is our guest this half hour. Ross is president and founder of A-Ghost. Isn't that a great acronym? A-Ghost, Advanced Ghost Hunters of Seattle-Tacoma. With over 30 years of investigating the paranormal and nearly 20 years running a ghost hunting group, he travels internationally to investigate paranormal activity, collect ghost stories, and research cemeteries. You may also find Ross wandering the streets of Seattle. He owns and hosts the Spooked in Seattle Ghost Tours that take guests to the various haunted spots throughout the Seattle area. A man who knows the haunted hotspots, Ross Allison. Ross, it's great to have you with us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. You are on the road with family taking a little time off in Philadelphia. You are a well-traveled gentleman. I I am. I, I like to see as much of the world and hit a, as many of these haunted places that I can within my lifetime. I would think in Philadelphia, if you had any spare time, there would be plenty of places to go. I mean, my goodness, you know, we, we think about the Liberty Bell, we think about Ben Franklin, the Founding Fathers. There's so many places rich with history. I imagine some of that is haunted history. Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, one of my favorite spots is Eastern State Penitentiary. And that's, uh, we were actually the first team to investigate that place. We did that, oh my God, I can't tell you, about almost 20 years ago. Uh, we did this for Discovery Channel. We did a show called America's Ghost Hunters. And they actually had us spend the night at the old prison out here. And uh, that was pretty interesting, I do have to say. There's definitely some, uh, some interesting ghost stories happening there. I remember uh, during our investigation, we were alone, me and my team member, and uh, we kept hearing this, this, this step, step behind us. And so, you know, being paranormal investigators, you know, we wanted to see, you know, what's making that noise. And we'd get closer and we'd stop and wait. And, of course, you'd hear that step, step. And so we'd draw on a little closer and, again, wait, and you'd hear that step, step, step. And so we kept getting closer and closer, and these noises were leading us to one of the cell rooms. 
And right when we got into the cell room, all of a sudden we heard those, those, those loud noises right behind us. Turn around, and all of a sudden we see water dripping from, and hitting, uh, dripping from the ceiling and hitting a tarp, making that step-step noise. So a little debunking involved in that, too, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely a pretty amazing place to investigate. I have heard that there is an energy there of the pain and misery associated with being incarcerated under whatever circumstances. It just makes you feel bad for people who get themselves, no matter how far back or whether it's happening to someone right now, being in the kind of circumstances where you're up close and personal with the pain of your existence. Right, right. And, and Eastern State Penitentiary is famous for the fact that you know, they did a lot of that isolation as well keeping the prisoners away from each other. So could you imagine the hell of, you know, not even having anybody to talk to for years? Oh, that would be extremely difficult. Was it a place where they did any kind of experimentation? Uh, no. It's also famous, too, um, one of the ghost stories there is uh, Al Capone. When it was still up and running, Al Capone was there for a short time when they had arrested him for tax fraud. And so they still have his cell decorated up there. And the story is that Al Capone believed that he was haunted by one of the gentlemen that he had uh, killed in the Valentine Massacre. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he would be heard late at night in his prison cell yelling out the guy's name. You know, leave me alone, leave me alone. And I forget the guy's name that he felt that he was haunted by, but that was one of the most famous ghost stories there. And I imagine, because you're so well-traveled, if you haven't been there someday, I'm sure you will, Al Capone did a stretch in Alcatraz, and I've heard that that is quite the haunted location, on the rock. Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, we, again, were one of the first groups to investigate that place as well. And this was a good, uh, you know, again, 20 years ago. And um, we actually, it was kind of amazing because when we got there, they had opened up the places that weren't open to the public. A lot of it's opened up more since it's been there. But we arrived, you know, late at night. It was kind of cool to be on the island in the prison at, at dark. Uh, they escorted us up the tunnels that the prisoners would actually uh, come in at. And um, mm. they would actually go up through these tunnels before they'd, you know, be sentenced to their, their cell. But uh, that was pretty cool. But my first physical encounter was at Alcatraz. And, oh, uh, really? Oh, yeah. I, I remember it clearly. Um, we actually got to investigate the... Um, I'm sorry. Where they actually uh, had set uh, the dead prisoners. So the morgue. Sorry, I was trying to think of the right word. The morgue. So we investigated the morgue area, and this is where they put all the prisoners uh, that had passed uh, before they shipped them over to the city of San Francisco. So we were the first to venture through. We go into this room, and if you're not familiar with the, the prison's history, it actually started out as a military base. Then it became a military prison before it became the state penitentiary, before it retired. Now, I'm going down uh, underground uh, because I want to check out this room, because this room that they're taking us to is where they used to keep the gunpowder, and they had to keep it underground because they had to keep it cool. So I'm the first to venture through. I'm going down this tunnel, and I enter this room, and it's nothing more than a dirt floor, you know, brick walls and ceiling. Now, I want to get a picture of the entrance of the room, 
and I want to get the widest angle. So, of course, behind me, the members are starting to filter into the room, too. So I'm kind of backing up to get the widest angle of the entrance. And as I'm backing up, uh, one of the members had put their hand on my shoulder to stop me because, obviously, I was backing them into the corner. So I turned around to apologize to one of my members, and there was nobody there. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I physically felt the weight of a of man's hand, the pressure of his fingers, and it physically stopped me because I was stepping backwards. So I was literally expecting to see a living person behind me, but yet nobody there. And with that experience, you're you're talking with your fellow researchers there what were you able to conclude of course you can't always see the evidence sometimes you just feel it exactly well you know it's just after that you start you know second guessing yourself you know when you have these experiences you're like you, you try to debunk it you know was it just a muscle twitch but no you know when you were physically stopped while you're in motion that's not a muscle twitch you know that's not just your jacket settling so you start to realize that unfortunately you know you miss that opportunity to try and capture that phenomena, but sometimes you're not able to capture that phenomena. Sometimes it's always just going to be those personal experiences. Because, like, how do you prove, you know, physical touch? That's one of the things, the challenges that we face. That is the subjective nature of a lot of this kind of research, Ross. And that leads me to ask, when you're at this for 20 years, I have to believe that you would acquire the latest equipment Starting out with what, and now about 20 years later, what do you use? What were you able to procure in order to do your research in a more sophisticated manner? Well, I've always been more of the scientific mind. Um, I always want to try and validate our experiences, even though a lot of times it's you know personal, and sometimes it's always what we call the you just missed it phenomena, where you're unprepared, something tends to happen. So for me, you know, even in the, the years that I've been doing this, there's nothing that, you know, really proves these encounters than what you capture on video or what you capture on audio. Those are two of the most impressive pieces of evidence. When you see a dark, shadowy figure, you know, peek out from behind a door and then move back. When you hear a voice talking back to you or answering your questions, to me, that is the most concrete evidence. But, you know, a meter can only tell you so much. A psychic can only tell you so much. And so you really have to go back to, to our roots and, and, and really depend on the visual and audio aid. I wonder, Ross, if very many people can actually hear what they capture on tape, the so-called EVP experience. When you have that kind of electronic voice phenomena, is it something that, uh, without a psychic on hand, let's say, could you be recording and hearing something, or do you have to hear it on playback? No, when it comes to EVP, it is only heard in the playback. So, yeah, that's when they're asking the questions into the air. You leave about you know, 10, 15 seconds of silence after your question. And hopefully when you play back your recording, you will hear the answers to those questions. So for me, that's pretty, you know, amazing. I, I know um, I've, I've captured EVPs where I had asked, you know, can you tell us your name? And the response you get is clearly Edward. 
you know, that was something I captured in Seattle. So it's, it's again, it's, I think for most people, you know, seeing is believing. And I, and I believe that. You know, for me, when I got involved in ghost hunting, I didn't have a lot of those experiences. I was just envious of people that would tell me about their experiences growing up in a haunted place. But as I continue to be in this field for as many years as I have, you start to encounter more of those things. And that's what makes it most intriguing is when you get those little pieces of information to show that there is something out there. There is something to this. We're not wasting our time. It's fascinating to me, and now I'm kicking myself. I live in Florida, but I spent just over two decades in the Seattle-Tacoma area. So we're talking King County, Pierce County. There are many haunted locations there, and I can't say that I was ever at one that was known to be haunted, or I didn't know it at the time, at least. So let's move back. Now, you're a Seattle-Tacoma guy, Ross Allison. Tell us about some of the places when people make a road trip, let's say, to the Emerald City and they are of a certain bent this time of year, it's very popular, they want to go to haunted locations, places with that kind of reputation. In the Seattle metro area, let's say, which are the places you know to be most famously or infamously haunted? And in fact, you manage one of them. You have a museum there that I have visited, and I thought it was extraordinary. Tell our listeners about these places, especially the one that you run. Oh, you bet. Well, uh, I run Spooked in Seattle. Uh, we've been voted uh, through numerous media outlets as one of the top ghost tours in America, which is amazing because Seattle is still very young. You know, we're just over 150 years old compared to something on the East Coast. So there is a lot of tragic history to Seattle, which could pertain to a lot of the ghost stories that we tell and experience. But uh, we are actually in the heart of Pioneer Square, uh, which is the most historic part of Seattle. That is where the Pioneers started out in 1852. And uh, we actually have ties to the Seattle Underground, which for me is probably one of the most haunted locations in the Seattle area. Now, I say that because I've had more experiences there. You know, I've traveled all over the world and been to some of the most you know, claim to be haunted places, but you don't always get those experiences to validate that. But when you have access to a place that is haunted on a day-by-day basis, like the Seattle Underground, you start to have more of those encounters. And like I said earlier, you know, one of the EVPs that I captured in the Seattle Underground was that uh, voice when I had asked, can you tell us your name? And I got the response, Edward. Now, with our location itself, you know, we're in the underground, and we have all kinds of interesting things happen. There is a little girl that haunts our location. In fact, um, I know of this because when I first started doing tours, um, we had access to a restaurant used to be known as Denunzio's. Um, and so they let us in to do an investigation, and they had talked about this little girl and. They'd see her uh, peeking around the corners and might hear her talking or even giggling. And unfortunately, the restaurant closed down. And this building sat a vacant, a vacant for, you know, two and a half years. And I was able to uh, get access to it um, after the two and a half years. And it ended up being my home base for Spook in Seattle. So the story all starts out with, you know, 
Again, places band abandoned for two and a half years. They give me the keys and say, okay, it's yours. So I go down by myself, and I'm just exploring this old restaurant going, oh, my God, this is amazing. I can't believe this is mine now. And I started going through a lot of the trash that the restaurant had left behind, thinking of, you know, pieces that I might want to keep and stuff that was going to go to the dump. And one of the things that I found down there was this old wooden child chair. And I thought, oh, this is definitely a keeper. This is worth keeping. So I grabbed the chair, and I moved it to a back room, and I set it by a doorway. Now, I went off and explored some more, you know, collecting more pieces that I wanted to keep. And I go back into the room, and I go to set everything down, and I realize the chair's not where I thought I put it. Now, I didn't put a lot into it because, again, I'm running off a lot of this adrenaline, you know, the excitement of having this place. So I just kind of set what I had in my hands down, and I went exploring again, came back with another handful of stuff, and now I know the chair's not where I last by. Now, luckily, as I was exploring... I found a piece of chalk. So I took that piece of chalk and I drew circles around the leg. And I wanted to validate this is really happening. I'm not crazy here. So I go ahead and I leave again, come back with some more stuff. And sure enough, the chair had moved a good 10, 15 feet away from the spots where I had drawn the circles. That's extraordinary. Oh, yeah. So we believe that what is what causes this phenomena was that little girl. And we had experienced a lot of crazy stuff when we first moved in. I remember, you know, the first night we had purchased a bunch of, you know, cleaning supplies. And uh, we had set them up, you know, downstairs. And uh, we came back the next day and all those cleaning supplies spread all over the first floor. Like something just threw them all over the place. So we definitely think it's that little girl. She's been uh, definitely known to be very mischievous. Um, Another really great story is I had actually purchased this little doll for her because I wanted her to feel welcome here. And what's really cool is in the back of this little doll, there's a little wind-up key, and inside she has a music box. And so I had set that little doll on that chair that she likes to move around. You know, and I just made it out loud that let her know that this is actually her, you know, little doll. Well, every so often when we're closing for the night and we're leaving, you will actually hear that doll playing by itself. And I had experienced this a couple of times. And so I went, you know, of course, you know, to go check it out. And as soon as I get to the doll, it stops. And well... To our surprise, one night uh, there was a team investigating, and they actually captured that doll playing its music. And what's really cool, and you can find this video online on YouTube, um, but what's really cool is when the investigator, the team lead, is trying to get his team to be quiet because they're all excited about the doll playing by itself, he says, hush out loud to shut up his team so that they could be quiet. And right when he says, hush out loud, the doll stops too. I love those stories. They are amazing and they make great artifacts too. I think many people are creeped out when they look at a doll collection or other haunted objects and they wonder about the energy that attaches to these items. Oh yeah. 
you know, we have quite a few haunted dolls in our collection. And a lot of this stuff is just was given to us. And, uh, and it's interesting. There's one doll that I was talking about uh, not too long ago that we had just gotten, which we call our suicide doll. And this was a doll that was given to an elderly woman when she was just a baby. And she held on to this doll for her entire life. And this doll sat on a shelf in her bedroom. And the elderly woman, she died, you know, uh, at home in bed. Her family was sitting around, you know, holding her hand, waiting for her time to come. And the moment that that woman passed, the doll fell off the shelf and shattered into pieces. Oh, man. Yeah. All of this is just amazing. And having been there myself, I will tell you, Ross, that uh, I definitely I felt kind of the creepy vibe around the, the doll collection, but I was utterly fascinated by the death masks. When I saw oh, yeah. that, it just, it seemed like here was a cultural imperative for people who, uh, whether it was somebody famous or not, they wanted to have that, that impression of their face at the time of their death to keep with them. Maybe a lot of people would consider that too bizarre, but that was quite fashionable back in the day, as they say. Well, you have to also understand that this is a time before photography. So if you want to remember how an individual looked, you would have some sort of artist come in and do some painting or rendering of you. That was the only way you could remember how an individual looked. So when death masks, you know, started coming out, it became very popular, especially amongst the, the wealthy and the famous. Because if you didn't get to meet them face-to-face in life, you can now meet them face-to-face in death. Yes, in uh, maybe not a literal way, but figuratively for sure. Uh-huh. If people go on the Spooked in Seattle Ghost Tour, Ross, and you're you're leading the tour and you're showing them around, what is it that they are going to find there that, that ranks among your most special possessions in this collection? And it's really quite an assortment. I've seen it myself. It's pretty amazing. Well, I think our biggest celebrity is probably Mr. Creepy. Now, that's not a name I gave him. That's a name he actually came with, and he is actually a ventriloquist doll. You can actually look him up online if you want to see pictures of what Mr. Creepy looks like. And um, I actually came across him when I was shopping for some more artifacts for the museum as, you know, when it comes to death-related artifacts. Now, his story goes back to the 1960s when he was created. And he was created by... Uh, well-known uh, ventriloquist artist in the Northwest. He uh, back, went back to the vaudeville days. And in his retirement years, he created this doll. Now, he actually created this doll in his likeness. And he created a female counterpart in his wife's likeness. Now, what makes these dolls extra creepy is the fact that they use their real hair on these dolls. Mm. Now, after their passing, the dolls were sold at a estate sale as a pair. So this woman who deals with antiques, she purchased the dolls, and she put them on a shelf behind her register. And they sat there for a good long time, no issues whatsoever. Well, unfortunately, they sold her building. So this means she had to pack up her shop and uh, move to a new location. So she packed up the dolls separately, and she put them into storage. Now, when she got her new location, she'd constantly go back to the storage unit, pulling pieces to restock her store. And she came across, you know, Mr. Creepy. But she didn't find the female counterpart, but she went ahead and took him 
and she put him in a glass case behind the register. Well, right away, she said she had these, you know, feelings like she was always being watched. She'd feel like somebody was breathing down the back of her neck. She constantly got chills. Then some days she'd even come in and find that his eyes would be looking left or looking right. Now, what's interesting about that is his eyes are actually spring-loaded. So what that means is when you're playing around with the trigger to move his eyes left or right, once you let go of the trigger, his eyes spring right back to the center. They cannot stay left or right unless you're holding on to the trigger. But there are days when she would come in and find him looking left or looking right. She said some days his head would be turned left or right. One day she came in and found that the glass case was wide open. After these experiences, she didn't want to deal with him on an everyday basis anymore. So she moved him to the back of the store and put him on a bottom shelf. Well, I come into a lot of these stores, again, looking for, you know, unique pieces for my museum. And I always ask, do you have anything that's odd? Because I like to hear their stories of some of these interesting pieces that they get into their museum or their antique stores, I should say. And, of course, immediately she introduced me to Mr. Creepy. And I said, I love this guy. I would love to give him a home at Spooks in Seattle. Now, she was so happy to get rid of him that she sold me him for $1. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I bring him to Spooks in Seattle, and I put him in this antique glass case that we had. And a few weeks later, I'm alone, and I actually am in the office when I hear a thud against glass. Now, immediately, I'm thinking, oh, great, something happened in the gift shop. Something might have gone broke. So I go exploring in the gift shop, and I can't find anything disturbed. So I'm kind of figuring out what caused this noise. And so I start wandering around, and I'm coming around the tables. And as I come around the tables, I'm now facing that glass case with all the haunted dolls. And immediately, I notice that his head is turned and up against the glass. So being the paranormal investigator, I quickly pull out my cell phone. I take a picture just to show that this happened. And here's where it gets really interesting. I'm examining the photo, and in the photo, I can actually see that his eyes are droopy. His face is more elongated, more lifelike, not the reflection of the doll itself. That is just an amazing story. It's one reason among many and a prominent one for anyone who wishes to see another side of Seattle. Spooked in Seattle Ghost Tours. What's the website, Ross? Uh, Spookedinseattle.com. Wouldn't you know? Ross Allison, with all of your travels, all of your investigations, let's do another one of these trip talks again. It'll be a lot of fun. Thank you, Ross. You bet. Anytime. Happy Halloween, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue of American Road Magazine. Until next week, drive safely and dream well. Oh, 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 oh